0: Be the right club. Be the right club today.
1: Johnny, yes. well, I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different?
0: All right, guys, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here, going to get to our interview here shortly with Kevin Van Valkenburgh. I't I, I wish I had a good, great reason why KVV was on. I just I texted him and said I wanted to do some kind of offseason podcast with him, and you don't really need a great reason to have KVV on. He's one of the smartest people in golf, one of the easiest guys to talk to. And uh, I threw out some questions on our message board, asking uh, our some of our refugees to send in some questions. and KVV is, of course, is one of the most thoughtful guys out there. and uh, he's getting to all the questions there on the message board that we didn't get to in the interview because this one went pretty long. Uh, we also cover five things we want to see in this next year in golf, and also three things we each wish we never said. Uh, just some kind of random, somewhat off-season topics, but really, uh, really enjoy this. I think you're gonna you're gonna enjoy this. Have some several interviews coming down the pipe here uh, in the coming weeks, and uh, look forward to to getting those out to you. We're, we got really excited about what we have on the, on the horizon here. Uh, Checking in quickly with our friends from Callaway, our friends at Odyssey Golf, the number one putter in golf, the Stroke Lab, Black 10, and the Bird of Prey putters. You've heard us mention them. They're now available at retail and online. Uh, The super high MOI mallet designs is delivering ultimate performance already, the number one model on tour, and it's only been out there for four weeks. Just go go to odysseygolf.com, check out the Stroke Lab Black 10 putter and look at it you'll see exactly why it's very popular. It's pretty hard to line up a putt wrong with this putter. You just stand over it. I've tested it out a little bit. Haven't fully put it in the bag, but a couple of our guys are already using this putter. A couple couple putts hit on the putting green, they threw it right in the bag. It's a pretty easy adjustment. Uh, Whenever I do make the change for my putter, Chad's trying to get me to change. I just love my my O-Works putter and the micro hinge insert on that. And uh, when I do make a change, it will be to the Stroke Lab Black 10 putter. Um, I need to get out there and and make a commitment to it. For more details on that, odysseygolf.com as well as callawaygolf.com. Also going to check in with our friends at Herbal Active. We still get a lot of questions about about this. How do you spell it? What is the CBD company that we've been talking about? It is Herbal Active, U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V. People are like, hey, what's that CBD oil you're using? It is not oil. It is a water-based Uh, oil does not go very well with your body and water does. It has no THC. You're not going to get high from it. It is just a very soothing, calming thing that we put in our coffee, take a couple drops before we go to bed. I've been sleeping a lot better. Uh, I have some fun, crazy dreams with the CBD, but I do sleep completely through the night. Uh, and it's just a nice level setter. We've really enjoyed it. And, uh, we've, uh, have you, you've heard all the nice things we've had to say about it. dot com. That's HerbalActive.com for more information. N-L-U-20 for 20% off of any purchase you make on the website. Uh, without any further delay, here is our discussion with Kevin Van Valkenberg, and everyone have a great week. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, I would say friend of the program, but it might be best friend of the program, recurring guest, uh, Mr. Kevin Van Valkenberg from ESPN uh kvv what's going on
1: i i hope kyle porter isn't crying somewhere now well, after hearing that i'm the best friend of the program but you know things change people you evolve. know
0: <laughs> i texted you and kyle to do an off-season kind of weird grab bag podcast and you d- he didn't even respond well so, he's got his you know, own pod
1: i don't I know have a pod. this is everyone's only, got that's why you i just save them up every month and then hope that someday i'll get a text from you and then I just launch them.
0: Well, well, everyone else has a pod now, so it's hard to get, hard to track some of these guys down. And uh, yeah, Kyle, Kyle said he didn't have my number, my new number for yeah. some reason, whatever. So
1: well, we get it, man. I like to refer to myself as, uh, you know, no laying up adjacent. You know, not not exactly part of the fam, but you know, adjacent to the fam.
0: That that is a great great way to to describe it. Since we, so we don't have to pay you, and we still get exactly, a, lot, yeah. a lot of your content. <laughs> Uh, the last time you were on was—I I swear this is kind of coincidence—but it was right after Tiger won the Masters, I believe. Oh, nice! Um, and you helped us kind of bring that into perspective uh, and help us to kind of digest the enormity of that situation, which I still feel like people like, still kind of went away quicker than I think it should have. And I'm feeling obviously with him winning the Zozo is not quite the same level, but I do feel like this one's kind of drifting away rather quickly, and it, it, it was just a, a, a minor blip on the sports radar that he won another golf tournament. Uh, what did it, did this win signify anything for you? Like a, we're a week, we're recording this on Friday, the week after the Zozo. What did it uh, did it hit you in any way?
1: Are Tigers really good against limited fields. When's he gonna win one against a yeah. full field, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, emotionally, this did not do much for me. Uh, the course not really like super inspiring and like already had sort of emptied the cannons on Tiger takes and how it made me feel emotionally. So uh, it was good. You know, he drove it good. Uh, I think it just, I think uh, maybe we got um, a little bit excited last year thinking like, oh my gosh, like this season's going to be awesome. And what we found was that he was just emotionally just out of gas. And, you know, that's why like him... Just basically being a non factor at the end of the year seems a lot more like, oh, okay, like now that makes sense. Like he really was putting everything he had into, you know, getting back to a championship and then winning the Masters, you know, the sort of flip around the season. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait, like that was really a hard mountain to climb. And maybe emotionally, like he's not ready to grind it out at the, you know, Valspar or whatever this year. So, uh, you know, I think this is hopefully. Correct me if I'm wrong, This the 6000th surgery on his knee uh will...
0: 6001.
1: Okay, thank you. That's, that's um hopefully that will maybe benefit him a little bit more this beginning of the season and we'll see a little bit more consistent play. I, I sort of wonder like is Tiger just going to be, you know, how Phil used to be, like just pretty good at the early part of the season and then kind of fade late? Um that'd be okay. I'd be fine with that. I just I'm a little bit uh I guess I thought for sure I picked him to be like a contender at Portrush because I was like, oh, uh, a course where nobody's ever been before, really, and it's going to be firm and fast, and the weather's going to be a factor, and you can hit irons off all the tees. Like that sounds like Tiger to me. And then he was just like, basically like, which which hole are we on here? I don't, know. I don't care what's going on. Blleh. So that was <laughs> pretty the uh, one of the more disappointing sort of performances I think of his major career. And I f- was like, oh, maybe I kind of. Completely misjudged where he was uh, with the entirety of his game, and he's just pretty much like, "Hey, I'm the Masters champion, so who gives a crap about the rest of this year?" So I'm hopeful we'll get a little bit more of a complete effort, health wise, out of him this year.
0: Well, I think a lot of us had come to the come to terms with that. You know, this whatever aging version of him, his best chance to win majors was gonna be Open Championships, mm-hmm. and we've kind of always had that in our mind. I at least thought. I mean Augusta is so much more challenging from a driving perspective yep. than it was when he won his previous four. And I know yep. they lengthened it before the 2002 and he won that year and obviously he won in 2005. But they lengthened it again before 2006, and not just lengthening it is not what's necessarily made it harder, it's just the trees that they literally planted on the sides of some of these fairways that mm-hmm. you know make it not okay to miss fairways by a wide margin and Honestly, if the eleventh hole, if if they didn't have a path over yeah. there that was okay for a ball to go, go way right, go, way, go right. way right, and it actually landing on the kitty litter over there twice, I think if I remember right, <laughs> Yo, you're then, right, yeah. Then I don't know if he wins that thing, and I, I so I think from that perspective, I tried to emphasize this when he won it was hey coming down the stretch. He had like a 10 to 12 to 15% chance of winning this thing before the 12th hole happened, before (laughs) everyone went in the water on 12. And it's not, and we can all fall in this trap of assuming that past results are going to like predict future things. And we're going to do a little segment here on things that we wish we never said. And I have one on there that uh, I'm surprised no one has rubbed it in my face more than they have. Oh, but yeah. uh, um, I got way more than one, but okay. uh, one of those being like, Hey, just cause Rory, like just cause Rory won four majors doesn't mean he's going to win for right. the next four years. And so I think we all kind of thought, yeah, this might be, I, you know, a lot of us would have said, I wouldn't be surprised if Tiger won another major before the end of the year. And he was a complete non-factor. Mm-hmm. The question I think remains and we've seen we've got enough data now and enough instances of this happening where people have somewhat written him off, and he's come back to just say it has to be health correlated. Almost every dip has to be health correlated. So how does he balance
1: resting with staying sharp with tournament reps? This is kind of like the hardest question, right? I mean, I was I think I've joked a couple of times about like why would you do anything but play in the majors? Essentially, like just play your practice rounds, play your money games. And just basically like show up for majors. You're exempt for everything for life. But it's clear he needs some reps. Like he needs to actually have tournament stuff. And that actually gets him. That's a, uh, he would say that's a dumb take by me. Uh, that's, a, that's a really dumb take, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've ever used the word take, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that. We, no, we
0: do that on everything, by the way. now Every time we say the word really, it's
1: like. Really? Raleigh. Really? Uh, I don't know where KVV is, but uh, horrible call today. today. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got to figure out, like, what are the right tournaments to play in and what ones to just straight up skip. And I, that's, I think the thing that always annoys me a little bit is Tiger's done so much for golf and made so many people so much money that I feel like at this stage of his career that he should just – Pick and choose whatever works for him and not do like th- there should be no one in like the you know Ponder just saying like hey like you know Steiny, we do us a we solid really need him at this tourney like this tournament's hurting you know what if that tournament is hurting you had 16 years of Tiger's career to fix it and you know <laughs> so I don't think that like one more go around is going to help it and save it long term for the future. And so I that's why like if he if he wants to play at Royal Melbourne, he should play.
0: I was but gonna if, say CC at President's Cup. Right, but if for he everything doesn't, you're saying, yeah. The
1: idea that he should, you know, that they should be pressuring him to play because like they're trying to help out Australian golf, like that's not a tiger problem. You can figure that out on your own. He should get to pick and choose whatever he wants and you should look at your bank accounts and see the literally billions of dollars that he has put into them and be grateful for that and not ask him for anything more because whatever his goals are going forward, they should be his goals and no one else's.
0: Yeah, and that's where I wonder with his – and we're going to talk some about this too uh, – how his content deal with Golf TV and that their relationship, Discovery's relationship with the PGA Tour – how that factors into his involvement with the PGA Tour, right? Because now Discovery's arm just continues to get you know longer and longer. Their reach is longer and longer. Now they're gobbling up you know actual independent media organizations, or or I should say, an organization that presents themselves as being independent that now no longer is. They are owned by you know a. I guess for the listeners, can you help me exp- uh, explain? Because I don't really know if I could the relationship between Discovery, which owns Golf TV, and the PGA Tour. like Who has an arm and
1: who, or an investment uh, reach and who, and how that all works together? God, that's a great question that I don't know that I could answer intelligently. I mean, I think that the sort of... That's the hardest part about all this stuff, right, is that media conglomerates are so like overreaching and everything, and this includes my own employer. And so everyone's hand is sort of tied directly into the sports that they broadcast. And so what favors are being asked behind the scenes and stuff that, you know, what's being over, you know, expense account dinners, what's being sort of asked to be like, Hey, we really need tiger on this and such and such thing. Or we really, you know, whether it's the NBA, we really need this game in this broadcast slot. Like I don't know the answer to that. And it's, I guess a little bit sad that some of those things dictate, uh, decisions that athletes have to make or whatever. But that's the modern world. Like, there wouldn't be enormous billion-dollar business deals if people executives weren't saying, "Like, how can we leverage this going forward for our our own interests, our own financial interests?" And I think what's going to be interesting, and you know, no one really knows this, is that the the contract for CVS is coming up soon, right? Like the with the PJ. So, what happens going forward? At at what point? We've thought this a lot about the NFL and stuff is like well at some point does the NFL just say can we just put everything on the NFL network and if you want to watch NFL you got to have it on you know it's it's so beneficial to the NFL and it's so popular that of course they're not going to do that because they can sell it to the you know the broadcast networks for like CBS and Fox and what and NBC for billions of dollars but could the PGA decide you know what we're a niche sport and we feel like this is going to benefit us better what if we just put everything on discovery what if that becomes the competitor to the golf channel and where we broadcast like all kinds of good stuff and we keep throwing up all kinds of cool content there that's not available to anyone else what would that do to golf you know it's sort of if you look at like the way that everything's trending and everything's going towards streaming and less kind of on television at some point the pga tour has never been particularly forward thinking a lot of things but what if Monahan's like, you know, what? This is actually our chance to sort of stamp this as our own kind of deal, and we're going to appeal to just the junkies. We're not going to try to bring in like this huge audience anymore. We're going to put it where we want to put it and have exclusive content there, and that's what we're going to roll with. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's. I've been very careful as to what I've uh, given out, as what as far as what I hear on the TV negotiations, and that mm-hmm. it is a it's a moving. It's not, at least as far as I can tell, it's still a moving. in in progress kind of thing i don't think what you just referenced is going to be the deal i quite confidently can say that won't be the case for this at least this round of negotiations i don't think they're ready i know for a fact they're not ready to say we are taking it all in-house and we're doing this all it's mostly because of that last part you said and part of their a big big part of their marketing strategy is hey, let's just deal it's definitely not, let's just deal with our hardcore fans. Let's just present to them. Because their whole thing is trying to get a ton of engagement across multiple platforms with this what I would consider non-existent fan out there that they think exists. And trying to reach these all these casual fans and draw them in to be hardcore fans, but really kind of not giving there I would from an outside view, I would not say they're delivering on that on that strategy. Yep. So, uh, it is going to stay on network TV in some capacity. What that looks like is uh, still a variable, but it, I know it is going to look different. But, but the, po- the overall point being, like, we're not journalists on our side; we are just golf fans. You are a journalist, but I'm sure you, through your career, you could see it function more than it uh than it does in the current society of like there used to be like really independent yeah. media that would mm-hmm. report on these sports and things. And the issue I kinda see with a lot of these in like these in-house and group content deals. And this is going to be – we're going to do a little segment later on five things we want to see next year. And I'll just give away one of mine right now. It's that I want to see these golf content deals work for the fan and start to be something that are productive, whether that be Golf Pass or Golf TV or, you know, with Rory and with Tiger. What you've done, what they've inherently done – I mean, Tiger's getting paid a lot of money from Discovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tiger's never sat down and talked about some of these things and like done these videos and all of a sudden you know there's a ton of money behind it if he's you know doing shot shaping videos on the range now and all this stuff. So imagine how much pull he has from within that organization and that doesn't just mean that you know these networks aren't going to uh, show negative things about Tiger. It's like, no, if yeah. Tiger wants, like, a highlight clip taken down or if his team wants something taken down, it's going to get taken down. And guess what? Like, his agency represents a lot of players on tour. So not only does Tiger have that pull, they can they can say, look, like, oh, I don't like this Matt Kuchar debate <laughs> of a ruling being posted on PJTour.com. Yeah. That's got to come down. And it's just like I all these things are not – serving the fan i think and it's just as kind of a a scary and slippery slope that uh things are are trending towards and i I say that as some as someone that has conflicts of interest of course and we try to be as upfront with those as we can but uh do you see is it is that as a journalist does that weird you out in any way the way things are somewhat trending in golf
1: yeah i mean a larger question is it trends that way in society too so like you know, it's you're never going to see the Washington Post write a sort of deep dive expose into Amazon, right? And so, like, there's one of our most important media organizations that can't touch, like, maybe the most powerful thing in business. And so you see a reflection of that in everything. And I, I mean, you think, you know, one of the examples I thought was was the most absurd of this last year was, you know, John Rom at the Players. You know, he's trying to hit a 200 yard hard draw out of the sand over the water at the Players, and he has this, you know, sort of really fascinating discussion with his caddy about it and everyone who was watching the players was like oh my gosh this is a great clip this is exactly what we want and of course you know it gets taken down like it's as soon as it's not we're not talking about like a rights violation because like golf channel put it up you know it wasn't there was some we we all saw the broadcast like this happened so to like erase it as though it's like state-run media And, like, the the dear leader is offended by the idea that, you know, anything unflattering would get out there. That's just super frustrating as a fan. And so, yeah, it does bug me. It does bug me to think about how many, you know, magazine articles uh, of a publication, you know, that's connected to a certain player, you know, agency or whatever, that they're just kind of puff pieces, that there's nothing hard digging in there. I think everyone is facing the reality, which is that media doesn't have the power in a lot of ways anymore, independent media, because if you're a if you're Rory, like, what is the benefit to you to sitting down with ESPN and saying like, Hey, just ask me whatever you want. Like, I, I want to be on the cover of, you know, this, or I, I think it's good for me to be on this. He can just do his own podcast. He can do his own sort of magazine shoot where he says, Hey, you know what? Don't talk to me about this subject and this subject and this subject or else I'm going to pull out of the interview. And so, you know, if you're someone who values like independent journalism and being able to actually talk to someone about something that's not their, you know, their charity organization or whatever, Hey, that's important. But like, that's not super, that's not the only, if if that's the guardrails that we're going to focus on, we're only going to sort of say, well, how great are you? Like how, how wonderful are the things that you're doing? Like that doesn't present a pretty complete picture, uh, and so I think that's you know one of the. I say – I think I don't I don't pretend to listen to a lot of golf. Pass with Rory. I just you know it isn't really the the, the limited exposure that I've had to it. It's not been particularly interesting. So I've kind of given up on ever you know buying the, whatever the episode. I think, but I think that that's what's kind of a bummer about it. And in, in large, is that no one's gonna ask Rory like. I think hard questions on any of those podcasts. And yet he's the one player who's actually pretty good at handling all that stuff. At seeing the big picture of stuff. So it's like we've taken the most interesting player and made him totally bland because like he realized like, Hey, I can, I can sign this deal and I can make money off of this. And I don't have to ever say, you know, yes to anything. Cause I'm always like, Hey, guess what? I'm doing this podcast. I got my exclusive uh, window into the world. And yeah, that's that makes sense for Rory, but as a fan, that makes less sense for me, and that's uh, that's a bummer, I think. Yeah,
0: it just yeah, it just I don't know who else has the pull that Tiger and Rory have that could you know go this route. Um, I know LeBron has done things like this, and I guess I don't want to be speaking from an ivory tower here, like we. We, you know, in exchange for access, we are we have to cooperate in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, it's like everyone that works in media has to. We can't. It's just that's just a function of how things work, right? And it's it's a tough tough line to balance. It's something we try to be cognizant of, and you know, we hopefully know when to pull the plug on, you know, refraining from saying something when it's really deserved to to call it out. But uh, yeah, I think just all that stuff works together into like golf. Some of the best stories of the year the most – I don't want to say viral. I just hate that word. But the most talked about stories of the year were like Kuchar and his caddy. uh, That ROM thing at the players was awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just basically anything that stirs up controversy is so freaking good for golf. If you want – if in line with your marketing strategy of trying to reach this casual fan, those are the things that are going to do it and not – Wow, this guy is a class class guy and what a model citizen and unbelievable role model for the kids. And it's it's like it's not playing dirty. It's like just like giving a more real picture into how things actually are. And Totally. It's not, and I don't. It's not the up and down podcast on the PGA Tour Network <laughs> with Ellie Day. I promise that's not the one that's like going to really. That's sure. that's not an answer to any a question anyone else is asking. But
1: well, and we we have now in the few podcasts the in the many podcasts that I've done with you, where we've probably bagged on golf pass with Rory a few times, in part because we kind of know Rory can take it, and because Rory's like generally like there are plenty of other conflicts of interest that. We probably don't touch just because we don't want to ruffle too many feathers in that sense. But like, it's frustrating. It's, it's a, you know, so much when so much of your sport is tied up with corporate money. Uh, and that's basically what is the, you know, you couldn't have PGA tournaments unless you had sponsors to sort of put them on. It's not like it's a league where, like, hey, here's our games and you can come and the ticket prices are the sort of main. Function of why people, how how you pay for what you got, your tickets t- and TV. Like someone's got to put up twenty million dollars in order to have the Farmers Insurance open, right?
0: Right. So yeah, like, and- but that's where it's where I think like the tour is actually in a really good spot to turn their. I guess to I don't want to say give hardcore fans the middle finger. If I if I'm talking to Jay Monahan and I say like, hey man, like, and I've told him this, I'm like, hey, sometimes it's hard to watch golf on TV like it's it's hard to watch it he doesn't say this but if I'm him I'd be like okay like well what wh- what's my job here I put money in the players pockets I keep the sponsors happy and like if you know if there's enough people watching it that keep the sponsors happy that make the players a lot of money like why would I why would I ruffle that like what is my my duty is not to you as a fan? which sucks, but that's the reality of the situation. And, I, do, of course, the argument against that is, like, how long can this go on if people aren't watching? Ratings took a, a tumble this year. It's hard to really judge what ratings even actually are because of Tiger always being a factor in that and just the constant. And we don't know what his involvement is going forward, but they can kind of negotiate on the fact that he is going to be around in some capacity so it is just like a an unanswerable question. It's just, I guess I just vent it from frustration for, you know, at at the heart of it all, of course, we're just golf fans and we're trying to trying to represent the golf fan as best as we can. And just so much of what is going on out there just is not serving the golf fan.
1: Here's my counterpoint to, like, I guess what what we are sort of pretending like the Monaghan argument would be. I actually made this point about the That's Deadspin true. sort of controversy this week where Deadspin basically, like, went away and there was some argument over like what kind of traffic they should be focused on is that what companies are or are gonna realize is that it's not the total amount of viewers that you have. It's how loyal the viewers that you have are to the place where you're trying to advertise. Bingo. Okay. So if I have twenty million people who watch a tournament Let's say half of those, if this is Tiger's involved, Tiger and Phil are dueling at the Masters or whatever, and it brings in a huge amount of casual fans. Those casual fans aren't going to be like, oh my God, when is the US Open? Like, when can I watch the players after this? When can I get the next tournament? They're going to be like, okay, well, tell me when Tiger's involved next and I'm out. Like, because or, or, I don't care. Like, I'll, I'm only interested in Tiger. And so I think in some ways, like, what I hope that companies sort of start to understand is if you provide like a really loyal fan base to that are connected to your product and have like feel good about it, they're much more likely to want to like actually spend money on the products that are being endorsed on this program or the connection that they're making to and saying like, Hey, these gallery drivers are great. Like, you know, whatever, like they're going to have warm feelings about the ad, warmer feelings about the ads that are sort of on there as opposed to like, Hey, let me hurry up and TiVo through this because I want to get get to the next shot. And and, and plus, they're just going to get way mm-hmm. more exposure to it. They're going to constantly be, be bombarded with ads from the same golf company or the same insurance company. And if they, even if they are get annoyed a little bit, like you know, by the standing in the Hall of Fame stuff, like it's still going to penetrate their skulls a little bit so that they're <laughs> like, hey. Maybe I do need an Omega watch, man. Like that's my brother, brother wears that. And that's cool. Is
0: that five years now that we're still remembering that from? I'm
1: pretty sure. Like
0: that might have been the best, the low key best ad run of we've uh, we've Holy, ever seen. That control is really tough. To <laughs> listen to it's just, um, All right, I do wanna I wanna get into you know, we we so we touched on one of the questions we got here, but I want to do our the the few topics that we did prepare which is the first one being five things you want to see n- in the next year in golf. And I, I don't know about how, how you came up with your list of five, but mine are a li- like avoiding the Tiger Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. I don't have Rory winning a major on there. Some really obvious stuff, like I'd love for Speed to win the Masters. Yep. Um, I, there's a lot of things I think are pretty obvious that I kind of went just a, a, the next level to it to be like, here's some things I'm realistically looking
1: out for, but I'll let you go first. Okay. Uh mine's kind of first one's kind of irreverent, but I have I have some serious ones, but this one I just had to be <laughs> reverent. I would like golf.com or golf digest or or kvv.com or whoever, like free ideas for us out here, to hire an actual physicist and get him a media credential for the week to pose actual physics <laughs> questions to Bryson during a tournament. Um I want like physics Twitter to like ride hard for real physics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After the whole terminal velocity thing at the Masters, I was like Am I being bamboozled here because like terminal velocity might be the one physics term that I have like a working grasp of. Uh, so when he dropped that and I was like, wait, that's not right. Like is Bryson actually like the monorail salesman from The Simpsons? like what, <laughs> what kind of sleight of hand is going on here? <laughs>
0: it's, it's like the seen. most googleable one of all of them too. It's like, well, well yeah. all right, that doesn't work.
1: Then that commercial where he and Tiger are like talking about like Bryson's talking physics, I'm like, wait a minute. Tiger's the Stanford guy here, and Bryson's the SMU guy, and Tiger's playing the meathead. This whole thing feels like Inception. Like I, maybe I don't really think that Bryson knows what he's talking about about this stuff. So unless Bryson's like some sort of like Sasha Baron Cohen character and he's been like fooling us this whole time, I want physics fact checking like in the mix zone. Oh man,
0: God, that's an idea. I'm wondering if we could get a credential for that. For, for we could hire a one week physicist for that. Um, you know what? That has me. Uh, What I'm also out on is golf commercials where the two subjects or whatever the multiple subjects are are, that are filming it are not in the same room. And it's very clearly like a one-shot over to a one-shot and a one-shot, and it's all this scripted conversation. The reason why the Tiger and Connor Sketches commercial works is because they're in the same room together, and they're laughing about it. Uh, Like... (laughs) The golf TV one before the uh, with the Japanese lesson was surprisingly well done, considering they weren't all in the same room together. And I know it's a lot harder to do that, and all the production that goes into that. But it is immediate turn off. Like, nope, they're not in the same room. I am not paying attention to this.
1: Well, also, how funny is the like the European tour stuff where they're all in the same boardroom and they're like talking, like they're doing it really dry. Oh, it just shows you like how much more like dry and funny like English people are than American, like. Those guys just—they are so like don't take themselves seriously enough to where it's fun. Like I, I, it would be hard for me to like put think of who what Americans you could put in the room that, like Stenson and Westwood and Fleetwood and, and and Eddie and sort of have a similar kind of vibe. I just don't know. I mean, it would have to be like the lesser guys, right? It would have to be Max Homa and have to be, uh, you know, I don't know how so you you know so who else you throw in there. But like if you put like JT and Spieth and Bryson in there? Are you kidding and me? J- Dustin, the DJ like and
0: Brooks video from the Player of the Year last year. All you gotta do is put those two in a room together. It's just electric.
1: That bad boy's coming home with me. Great job, man. Thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that was some that was some pornography quality acting there. That <laughs> oh,
0: that needs to be. We need to work that into uh, into more into more content next year. That bad boy's coming home with me. I do have a uh, – I, I wish I would have gone more of me. the route that you went with that. I do have a Bryson one related uh, related one later. I'll start off with a somewhat serious one, but I want to okay. see Dustin Johnson win a major. Um, I think, it again, it, he doesn't yeah. quite fit in that obvious bucket of like, hey, yeah, I, of course we want that guy to win. And I don't think it's necessarily going to be a huge popular win for golf fans or anything, but we're talking about like one of the most talented players of – the generation that it pays to be a huge ass bomber and he has won a ton of golf tournaments and when he finally broke through and won the u.s open i think a lot of people felt like that more were to come and i know we just got done talking about how that's not necessarily the case but the amount of opportunities he's had to only have one two put two just puts you in a totally different category and he deserves to be in that and belongs in that and i want to see him do it, and also because uh, Re- uh, Big Randy has issued him twelve months to live, and he will be officially pronounced dead. Uh, yeah, God,
1: clock is ticking. I know. Uh, I, uh, Rory is in on the, Rory, uh, the dead DJ jokes, by the way. Years. I talked
0: to him a bit about that, and he laughed very hard at uh, at Randy <laughs> saying that uh, he was li- he was uh, living six feet under par.
1: That was. <laughs> God, I don't know. I just- I don't know. We don't deserve Rory, and yet that's what sucks. We put him behind a paywall, and, and we only get to hear about these little snippets here and there.
0: Well, that's what I'll just go right into my second one, which is the golf content deals need to provide the fans something of value. A lot of money. There's a lot of suits involved, which automatically is just going to trim out probably the most interesting parts of it. But nothing really noteworthy has come of it. And I just I we already talked about this some, but that was one of my five things I wanted to see. This clearly going this route, so I want the golf world to be better for it. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to hog the content for us necessarily. I want it to be out there for the golf world to enjoy. You know, if some of our most interesting characters are going to go that route, I want it to be something that people talk talk about. And I, I don't think that's currently happening.
1: Yeah, give me ping pong matches like in the Masters houses that they rent or whatever, or like you know a a window into a dinner like the week of the tournament. You know where phil has sort of people gather around and is his cut and takes at the table or whatever it's something fun you know something that's exactly like not staged and corporate yeah,
0: something very uncut is fine there's something something real we want it to be real
1: so all right your second one i want to see pat perez win a tournament uh, okay. uh pat perez and i don't share the same politics we don't have the same interests <laughs> but pat perez is one of the real ones man pat perez I talked to him, I walked up to him for a feature that I was writing about someone else last year and I was like, oh man, it was like on the range of Riviera, you know, big tournament Riv and I was like, "Uh, hey Pat, you know, is there any way I could talk to you for five minutes? He's smoking a cigarette. He's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) We talked for 30 minutes and he just smoked cigarettes the whole time and like hit one handed wedges and like firing off all these takes about kaepernick and about arnold palmer and about patrick reed and the president oh my god it was awesome and fascinating because he truly gives no f's like he just doesn't care about stuff and he kind of got like he one of the things we talked about in the thing was like how easily you can get screwed by like a sort of one comment like a viral sort of take and about his thing about tiger and essentially saying like he knows he's not like good enough to win right now and you know every blog in the world like picks that up and it was like oh my god paparez is dunking on tiger what an ungrateful shit and that wasn't like if you understood the context of it paparez is like saying like he he's only going to play in tournaments that he knows like that he can compete in and he just knows he's not good enough right now which was exactly true and so the idea that like Paperez was, like, taking a shot at Tiger, was just totally ridiculous. And I – he's, you know, he's not a long hitter at all, and he knows exactly – he's, like, one of those guys who just knows, like, what tournaments he can and can't have a chance in. So I think it would be fun. I would just love to see him get into a press conference afterwards and just, like, nuke everyone who, you know, just for fun because it would be great, fun, great content.
0: (laughs) Well, the counter to everything I've said of, like, wanting real stuff – is that also, on the other side, golf fans aren't prepared to take it. like Because when no. we get real stuff, we ruin it, <laughs> and we freak out, and we make a big drama about Pat's comments. Even though they were like, nobody had an issue with it, like the factual nature of the comments. No. It was just the fact that it, it came from a player, which we should have been celebrating. It's, just, it's awesome that that would happen. So to your point, you're, you're talking like, yeah, you're going to need like Max Homer or someone to do it. Like, what? Like what real reason do they have to do it, right? Yeah. Like, do you want to be known as the goofy guy and the loudmouth and you know, people will throw it back in your face, say, Yeah, you've only won one tournament. Like, who are you to talk on this topic? And it's like, Well, yeah, I mean that's that's true. Like, okay, I'll go back in my shell. And that's like what's just gonna to continue to happen
1: forever. Nothing is dumber to me than like the idea that you have to have like credibility to or that like you have to have won a lot to speak, or whatever. Like even Phil, when he talks some shit people were like well yeah well, you're no tiger okay so what is the bar <laughs> like it only snam seed is allowed to criticize tiger or he only you know can we wait, get some smelling salts and wake up bobby jones and like get him to criticize people i mean it's just like absurd it, the idea that like that's what brandall takes a lot of grief about he right. only right. won one tournament well guess what he played on the pga tour like he led the masters for a round come on like that's that's ought to be the bar that we clear the uh, the bar is my me and my eight shaky eight handicap no like if someone played on tour they have a pretty good credibility to be able to speak about these kind of issues
0: (laughs) they have the perfect credibility right because they're not brandle's not corrupted by relationships with a ton of the most powerful people in golf right so like davis love i think he's now taking over now for cbs i think he's a very nice guy i think he's an interesting guy i really do i mean i think he's kind of been painted as a very boring person and uh i'll get to one to that here in a few in a bit as well but I don't think he is boring, but I don't expect him to be really outspoken or critical enough on television. I think it's going to be very much the class acts open, you know, with him coming in and sliding to the CBS fold. But it's a very safe role to play, and I don't fault him for for playing it, to be honest. And I just think that, you know, someone like Brandel lives in that very – that space of like, yeah, I'm not afraid to ruffle some feathers. I don't have, you know, 30 career wins to my name in a major that – puts me in the golf hall of fame and makes me this figure in golf. Like I will speak my mind and mm-hmm. getting to know the guys that speak their mind is I'll tell you who the best dinner hangs are. <laughs> and Brandall might be up there with one of the best dinner hangs. I think I've, uh, I've had in the game of golf. So all right, what we'll do snake format? What's your third?
1: Uh, I want to see uh, Justin Thomas like contend in a masters or a British. Hasn't really contended in those two yet. And I, I, I just want him to. I want him to stay injury free so he can sort of be returned to what kind of the peak of his powers. Like I can make, or I could have made an argument at some point that he keeps going to be the best of his kind of generation of the Speeth Brooks, Rom, Rice, Bryson, Ricky sort of group. And I, I wrote something once that he was like, "Hey, this guy might be our Johnny Miller, like a guy who could just get hot and who is in, isn't afraid to go just deep." And you know, now I sort of feel like this is this is kind of one of those important years for JT to really sort of be that person.
0: Yep. That I like that. I mean, I think it, it was hope maybe heading that way before he got injured this past year. And I think the injuries kind of made people forget about him just at least a little bit and, uh, myself included. I mean, I think that, you know, we, but we saw what happened this fall when he, uh, you know, dialed back in, got healthy, wins BMW and wins the CJ cup yet again. Uh, it should, should be a big year next year for him. And I know the major championship performance is way up at the top of his list of things to, to improve on. Um, Along the same lines of a major championship, I want to see the PGA Championship have an infinitely better setup than in 2019. It was one of my—it just has burned in my memory as one of my least favorite viewing experiences of the year this past year. It was the classic cone of everyone's going through this tunnel and only the long hitters are going to merge the other side unless you have a guy like Spieth who's just going to put his ass off for it. They need to figure out a way— to taper fairways, I mean, if, you know, letting the shorter hitters at least be in the fairway, the fairways were so narrow at Bethpage that even the shorter hitters just from a natural dispersion cone couldn't hold the fairways, and the shorter guys are coming into greens from 190 while the longer guys are coming into greens from 140 from the rough, and it's just, so everyone's going to miss fairways, and the long hitters aren't punished for missing them. Uh, because of the fact that you know they, they're just rewarded from being closer to the green and being able to hit nine irons out of that onto the green. So uh, having been at Harding Park, seeing where some of those tees are, it's going to be long as hell, but I'd like to see you know landing areas. If guys want to lay back, hit three woods to wider parts of the fairways and come in from 200 yards into some of these par fours while other guys can try to get it in narrow necks of fairways, hitting the rough and get a little bit of punishment for it. I'm fine with that. I just want to see. I know Aaron Hills gets so much criticism for that open just because of how soft it played. But we ended up with Brian Harmon versus Brooks Kepka, which was two completely different playing styles. And it let lets a lot more people in. And maybe I'm just working off this. I read, recently read the golf.com, like the player survey. And the question, there was two questions within it. And it was, what's what's harder to win, the players or the PGA? And, like, 78% or something like that said the players. Because it's like, hey, everyone can win this one. It's like, hey, if you want to be a major, like, be a hard tournament to win. I mean, I guess shorter hitters would say it is harder to win the PGA because of that, that prerequisite, but um, – Maybe they're just – who they were surveying was just some of the, the, the more top players. But, uh, and then the, the next question was, which would you rather win, the PGA other the players? And it was flipped, like, inverted. And it was like, yeah, the PGA. Most people
1: want to win that. It just goes back, I think, to the, the uh, thing that we've said for a long time, which is the PGA just has no identity. Like, we just don't know what it's supposed to be. Like, is it Valhalla?
0: Well, you or- can't be U.S. Open light is what I'm saying. Like, that is not – nobody's winning there, I don't think.
1: Is it Valhalla or is it Bethpage? I guess my other side take of that is Bethpage is just secretly just a bad major venue. It might be. (laughs) It's just a slog. Okay. Is it my fourth one here? Yes. Okay. So the U.S. Open this year is June 18th to to the 21st. All right. Mm -hmm. Do you know when the senior U.S. Open is, Sally? I do not. It's the following week. It's at Rhode Island Country Club. And Phil Mickelson will be 50 years old. Uh, I had a feeling as soon as you said that, I had a feeling I saw what was coming. He could play in Open at Wingfoot, where I think he'll have zero chance to do what he did in those <laughs> day. But then he could just basically drive down 95 or drive up 95 to whatever, to Rhode Island i am totally butchered what interstate he should take care of. <laughs> uh, I'm not familiar with Northeast geography. Uh, and But he, Phil could totally go out and try to win the Senior U.S. Open. It would be so fun. He could just do it and be like, well, why not? You know what? It's a tournament. I'm eligible for it. I'm going to come out here and try and throw my – and then – Man, if Phil won the Senior U.S. Open, the takes would be so fun because
0: it'd be oh like, my why God. not?
1: Phil's got the career Grand Slam. Who said the career Grand Slam had to be all four? You know, of the PGA. Why can't it be the Senior PGA?
0: Is this not? Gary Player PGA? changed a bunch of the majors around oh! on, the, on
1: the seniors. Are- <laughs> I won fifteen senior majors. <laughs> There's no chance Phil Mickelson can even touch me. <laughs> he
0: literally did change the major like the, the, how they recognize senior majors because he won some senior opens and was like hey those should count in my uh, day we didn't that.
1: have to starve ourselves with protein <laughs> drinks we just put down the cheeseburger we was half through
0: <laughs> I want to get to a, a, a question about that, the, that era here shortly here, but um, my next one is kind of where I wish I would have gone with more of these but I want to see someone blow up at Bryson. I want to see it. I feel like it boiled this year. It got to a simmer. It just never they they the stove got turned off. Enough players out there say things about him. He was in that same golf.com piece. He was the voted the top player that people didn't like to play with. And people are waiting out, you know, Brooks has said some things about him and and kind of confronted him on the range. JT did the whole look at his watch thing while he was doing his thing. <laughs> for the Northern Trust I want somebody to lose it. I would guess it's probably going to have to come from a non-American that won't be on, like, Ryder Cup and President's Cup teams with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's going to happen. Maybe it's our boy, Pat Perez. That might be the one to actually do it. But (laughs) he does enough things that have pissed people off. And it's, it's something that people talk about behind closed doors. And I just want somebody to give it to us. I want the controversy. I want... Uh, I want the dot com to have to scrub it from their website. And <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I have a candidate for you.
1: Okay. How about Patrick Reed? <laughs> uh, he
0: would have no problems doing it. That would be just like, uh, gosh, what's the comparison of that? But there's, there's no winners in that fight. I don't think anybody's, really, <laughs> I don't think any fans are like,
1: Oh yeah, go get him, buddy. <laughs> it's like, we like the idea of like Draymond Green like fighting like Dennis Rodman or something. People were like, "Yeah, yeah that seems appropriate."
0: <laughs> but I think it has to come from like an Eddie. Eddie Pepperell got kind of. I guess he called him a twit this yeah. year. That that might be nominated, but um, okay. I don't know. Okay. Someone like Lee Westwood or someone yeah. to just get into it with him. I'd like to see that. Okay, I'm I'm all in on that. Uh, um, all right, your final one.
1: I would like to see a slow pay, slow play penalty enforced at a major. Uh, okay. Not just like with like the winner of the Asian amateur or the Latino amateur, but like someone who is literally like two holes behind the pace. Like, I'm not going to get greedy. I'm not going to say they have to be in contention, but it has to be like a player who is literally like dragging his group down. And a uh, rules official comes in and is just like, you know what? Next warning is a shot penalty. Boom. Sorry, I'm nailing you a shot. And let this, the sort of like ex- eruption handle it because I don't think that like the players ever think of it seriously enough and we need to have some kind of, uh, you know, it has to be some, we've had blatant cases of it. And I mean, I think at Oakmont a few years ago, we were joking like Spieth and Zach Johnson and Bryson's group at Oakmont was like at least a hole and a half, maybe two holes behind at some point. And so, you know, I don't know who, how you pick out one of which one of them, but you just sort of say, look, you're all on the clock. You're all being timed individually. Bam. You're going to take a penalty.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's my question. I'm sure it has something to do with the way the rules are written. Mm -hmm. But other rules in golf, players can call penalties on other players. Why can't they do that with slow play? That would be fascinating. Like, why can't Brooks time Bryson and 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 stroke him for? It? I
1: think what we need is maybe for Pat Perez to call a penalty on Bryson and then just light him <laughs> up. Like, <laughs>
0: sorry, I think this all keeps coming back to our, our, our Lord and Savior, Patrick Pat, Pat, Pat Perez. I'm going to pull a Trump,
1: Pat. If you're out there listening, can you please listen to this podcast and and do what we need? What we need for golf.
0: <laughs> we are heading to Phoenix this week and trying to track him down for a podcast. We no. have. uh we were supposed to do it when we were in Reno, and he's like, "No, nah, now nah, I'm gambling, man. I can't do it now." So we uh, were unable to get. It. That's literally what happened. I was like he didn't just didn't respond to my text for like two hours. Like, oh, sorry, I was gambling. Uh, we'll do it some other time. Maybe you could just said, go hey, up you want to do it in the range. morning?
1: Be like, could we just do the pod yeah. right here on the range while you smoke cigarettes and hit one handed wedges?
0: I was like, oh, you want to reschedule for the morning? He's Like, nope, I'll be sleeping. I was like, oh, all right, cool, okay, right, that's cool, sounds good. Um, all right, my last thing. I want to see Tony Finau win a big tournament. Yeah. I'm a big fan of his game. I think he's been incredibly consistent, and I'm so tired yeah. of just seeing people immediately respond with, oh, he's only got one win, and it's an opposite field event. I've said it 20 million times on this podcast. There's a lot more to golf than uh, than just winning, or else they wouldn't pay out all the other places. Correct. And he is, he is constantly, constantly beating a lot of the best players in the world. He very rarely, only one time ever has he beaten all of them. Uh, which is just I think a more of a, a more of a reflection of, luck. I don't want to say luck, but more of a just being the bad side of, on the bad side of probability more than it is any indictment of his game. So I'm ready to see him win a big one players or something like that would be awesome a WGC uh, of course a major but just something that would basically something that's not an opposite field event.
1: Well, great example of a, just like real quickly about how some of that is out of your control. Like remember when he's in contention in, in I think it was in China with with uh, Xander and like he hit a oh, ball yeah. that hit a sprinkler head and like bound it over yeah. the green. Like how is that a, a sort of a fair break, you know? It's just right. he probably wins that tournament if that doesn't happen. And that's that's just kind of c- completely ridiculous luck, you know. <laughs> All right,
0: we got. Uh, we're gonna do a little segment here on three things we wish we both wish we never said. I can't wait to hear what you come up with on this. <laughs> and then I got a couple questions from the Refuge. I want to make sure I get to, as we do have some good ones. But God. all right, let's start it off with you. What's the uh, what's the what's the number one on your list of things you wish you never said?
1: God, I mean, I, I mean, there are. I tried to limit rugby this to golf, Twitter. so they're not like, oh yeah, Rug-
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not rugby. <laughs> yeah,
1: for those who are unaware. Like I was one time getting a haircut and there was like rugby on and I was like ah you know who'd be really good at this is like Leonard Fournette or like you know like basically any American college football player and I just like kind of made a joke like dashed off a take like I mean like if you got like Urban Meyer and like all the best like NFL players you can totally dominate rugby I I literally the other day still got it like a death threat from some New Zealand like I, this is and this is not that was eight months ago or something. Oh my god, New Zealanders is not like Flight of the Concords, man. They were so mean to me. Like, they were like, Mike, oh, we're gonna kill you. You gotta come, it's why you gotta suck nothing about a fucking making. Fun. Anyway, I was like, whoa. So, I guess, I mean, rugby probably would be number one. But why, why do
0: they sound a little bit Scottish?
1: I'm not- well, because all of my impressions sound a little Scottish. <laughs> oh, uh, so got- uh, saying that Americans could dominate rugby. Would be number one. Yes, because <laughs> that was right. clearly spoken from a place of ignorance. Yeah,
0: which you've acknowledged. But, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, on your golf-related list, what do you got?
1: Uh, I said after I was at Burkdale with you, in fact, uh, and I said that it was inevitable that Jordan Spieth was going to win a PGA Championship at some point, uh, and it was obvious that he was the best player of his generation. Hmm. Uh, I think Brooks might have seen that and like bench pressed it into the sun, <laughs> uh, because. Uh, obviously, Spieth, who's now, I think, 40th in the world, uh, has sort of gone into the weeds a bit, and I'm, I am still encouraged at this year that he may come back and do okay, but uh, that uh, was maybe a bit hyperbolic on my
0: part. Well, do, I, do you think he will win a PGA? Or uh, is this going to be a double thing where you also regret, you regret the regret of saying that?
1: Well, I, the idea that like it was inevitable, like, of course right, he's going to yeah. win a PGA, seemed totally short-sighted, and also like... Didn't perhaps take into account like that, PGAs might be like Beth Page all the time from now on. Like, what if they set up Harding to be super hard and he's forty yards behind, you know, some of the better players, and he's you know no longer like the best six iron player in the world anymore? And so, I just uh, my maybe it was three in the morning when I was writing that, and I just <laughs> didn't quite think of the larger implications. But uh, I just my point was like the PGA doesn't really carry the physical, the mental scars of. The U.S. Open, you know, right. like with Phil or Rory, with the Masters, or you know, it's it, he's. I think Spieth will win another major, at least, uh, or a couple more. But at some point, I had him with eight, and was like, "Oh, he's just going to keep racking these up." And, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, so that's to my point. I didn't that my uh, my thinking with the PGA Championship setup was in line with what you said about Spieth, and that I don't want it to be like just because I'm a Spieth fan, I don't want it to be catered to Spieth. But what kind of a championship is this? If Jordan, if we're gonna eliminate a guy like with the talent of Jordan Spieth from winning it, what kind of a golf championship is that? He
1: had maybe the maybe one of the all time greatest putting weeks ever, and he wasn't even close to being in contention. Right. (laughs) Uh, And so,
0: like, even he said it. He's like, "Yeah, it's gonna be the one that's hardest for me to win." It's like, well, what what do we? Why? Why? Like, why is that gonna be the case? Why do we have to do that? And I just, yeah. So that's that's those two things are aligned. I'll, I'll go with this one then. For my first one, I, I said that Rory was going to win 10 major and Spieth was going to win eight. I think I think back in the day, I forgot how many majors that were played a year. And uh, I, I, in my defense, this was said when those two held all four majors shortly after uh, Speeth won the 15 U.S. Open. And uh, there was like 800 people that listened to this podcast at that time. So I felt like it was a very safe thing to say. Please don't go back and look for other uh, similar quotes, but I would like to revise both of those totals if I could and uh of the two i think it's more likely that speed gets to eight than rory getting to 10 just because he's younger Yes. Yeah. uh but that's that's something my regret. 10 is at. a lot only, so many
1: only four guys have ever got to 10
0: so many and but was
1: not gary player
0: he had four at the age of 25 like that didn't that wasn't an in, it wasn't an insane
1: thing to say it was just yeah. wrong yeah all right what's next uh so I made a lot of jokes along with a lot of other people, maybe even someone hosting this podcast about Webb Simpson, um, uh, back when he was texting his way onto Tom Watson's Ryder cup team, <laughs> but I'm all in on Webb now. Like yeah. Webb might be the best iron player in the world. Mm-hmm. He was fifth in strokes gained, uh, off, you know, the T like total strokes gained last year. And that's with ranking 114th on tour and putting or excuse me in, in driving. Yeah, I mean, like I gotten to be a better, the great putter again after the whole, like figuring out the <laughs> arm block thing. But, like, Webb was a baller at the Ryder Cup. He was basically one of the only guys who was like, yeah. nah, we're, I'm coming to play. Yep. And so, hell yeah, put Webb on the Ryder Cup team and Whistling. I don't care, like, just let's do it. He, Webb's earned the chance to, like, basically play alternate shot every time we play in one of these team matches.
0: Webb legitimately almost made one of my top three here as well. Based on, we'll, we'll get to my next one here, but it was going to be kind of a similar thing. And that Webb is the, the classic case for us of, how we had to change our mentality. Once we actually started to gain an audience that was, was and it became clear that people were acknowledging <laughs> what we said, we couldn't, no, we couldn't, <laughs> this, I, that's not what I meant. Uh, okay. We couldn't not like a guy for no reason. And it was basically like, oh yeah, his, his follow through ugly. Like let's make fun of that guy. And that was not, maybe not the best use of anything, <laughs> anyone's energy. And it was like, no, I got got. And it, it just became hard to explain. Like, why do you dislike Webb Simpsons? Like, no, I don't. Like, I'm just making. This is just jokes. Uh, and Webb is is a bona fide player. Like, that's not even up for debate. And has kind of had a career renaissance after, you know, the the Anchor ban, which should have. I don't know. I I, I don't want to get sidetracked on that conversation, but just kind of really wrecked some really elite players' momentum of their career. Um, and Webb's one of those guys.
1: You know what they should have done the anchor band really quickly is like hockey with the helmets thing. You should have, like if you were you were grandfathered in, if you know yeah. more players from, like beneath them could come in with anchors, but you're good to go. Yep. Okay. Um,
0: so along the same lines, I wish I never said anything along the lines of Jim, Fu- Jim Furick being boring or stale. And part of this, I think, is an indictment of the previous era of golf media because mm-hmm. it... It's golf fans shouldn't have ever had that thought, and but that's a reflection of everything I had consumed (laughs) from him, you know? And this is not realistic for everyone out there, but I was in the extreme fortunate position to like actually talk to him personally for the first time two years ago when he came on the podcast at a Callaway ad shoot, and I was blown away. I'm like, dude, I've never heard you talk like about these topics and at this length and how nice he was and – not even like not even in the realm of boring or dull in any way. We're talking about a guy that has transcended generations with a style of play that has not aged well. Like he is basically the only guy from the previous era that didn't grow up bombing the ball that has survived this long he's almost in the top 50 in the world still coming back from all the injuries he was in the top five in the world as of five years ago and we filmed and this might be recency bias but we filmed a wild world of golf with him at jack's beach golf club this past week (laughs) and he was awesome he was fun and after the round like you know, Tron's kind of struggling with his wedge game. He's like, "Come on, let's go to the range and got oh, a bag loaded. of balls." And
1: wait, he... wait, Tron was struggling
0: with his wedge. I game. know it was, <laughs> it was shocking development. Sorry, I spoiled part of the uh, yeah, so. shoot uh, part yeah. of the wild world of golf. But uh, went to the range, game? gave him a chipping like a wedge lesson, and even like said something to me. He's like, "Your ball position is kind of creeping back in your stance." Like the bad wedge you hit on, you know, thirteen was the ball is like creeping back in your stance, but you had it back up on sixteen, and you hit a really good wedge. I was like, oh, man, i never even thought about my ball position, that, like, that it varies that much from shot to shot. And and then we're like, hey, do you want a beer? He's like, love one. And we sat out on the picnic table and just told stories, and here he is, the third greatest earner in the history of the game of golf, hanging out at a municipal golf course. Like on his own time, he had no obligation to us at all, had a great time doing it, and was just like, man, like that sucks, that for a long po- portion of his career, I kind of thought of him as – like the caricature for a dull golfer. And maybe it's a reflection of me, but I just was... That was something I wish I never said. All, all any comments I would have made about him in the past came from a place of ignorance, and that's definitely something that uh, I wish I never, you know, insinuated or, or contributed to. I should yeah. say.
1: I think that maybe some of it might be Furyk getting so comfortable with who he is that he could just kind of like cut open a little, cut it up a little bit more now. But I think you're right. Yeah. Like maybe no one ever thought to like get Jim Furyk's like thoughts on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I, I went up to him at Riviera, asked him. Some stuff for a story that um, still may be published by ESPN someday. Who knows? But uh, and I talked to him a little bit about the Ryder Cup, and uh, he gave some pretty good answers about it. And uh, you know, it's he's, he's he's one of the real ones too. Like he's he'll he'll give you the truth, as or as close to he what he can. Uh, and and. Man, I admire that. Respect that. I would love to sit and pick his brain about a lot of things in golf.
0: Yeah, no, we
1: need to get him back on the pod.
0: He's great in the wild world, but uh, we need to get some get some more thoughts from him. So,
1: all right, you're up. Your uh, your last thing you wish you never said. This is not golf related because I mean, I the obvious one for me would be to pick maybe taking back that Tiger column that I wrote where I said maybe you should go into teaching. <laughs> like, um, but you know, in some ways, if I helped motivate Tiger to come back win the Masters, like how? Yeah. Oh, oh for sure. That back, like come on. For uh, sure. Later, maybe it was six months ago or so I said like, uh, it's funny how like Ben Roethlisberger has convinced everyone that it was Antonio Brown's fault that they, that thing broke up. And I was like, well, maybe I'd like to rethink that one now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe my my anti-Roethlisberger uh, uh, sentiment uh, clouded me there. So that would be one. I think I once called Tom Brady a weasel uh, in print. That's,
0: <laughs> like, you're going above and yeah. beyond the three things, you're just calling a lot of attention well, to some you things. Know, you've said. It's
1: just there's a lot of bad takes out there in <laughs> KVV land. I mean, I, I don't really get out over my skis too much, but uh, you know, when you when you think about the totality of your career, man, it's – uh, I mean, there's no Gary Player takes to like you know, where he some of his thoughts on apartheid back in the day, oh, that's no. a take back right there, but uh. <laughs> We won't even make jokes about that. That's that's like third-rate shit. I don't know how you
0: got apartheid into into three things you wish you never said.
1: <laughs> Solly, let's just say it was a different time. It was not not something we're proud of. Oh,
0: oh. All right. So is there official third then?
1: Uh Let's just that'll just be my grab bag.
0: That's a Honestly, that's I'm, a grab I think bag. I did like seven
1: bit. different ones there. All
0: right. Um, I wish. I, I I don't know if there's anything in particular I wish I didn't say. Before the 2018 Ryder Cup. Okay. <laughs> I do wish I phrased the hype leading into it better because clearly I had aggravated some European fans to think that I thought the, Europe, the U.S. team was going to stop uh, the European team. Uh, in retrospect, I did say that they would win. I thought the U.S. team was going to win. Uh, I think that which is what I believe. I really did think they were going yeah. to win. I clearly yeah. discounted uh, what, how much of a factor the golf course was going to be. Um, and I think people thought I was the same guy that, uh, that I was Alan Shipnick that wrote the column that said the Ryder Cup was over and that it was not even going to be a competition anymore. Um, I also said before 16 that the U.S. would win four of the next five, which I do... Only got to win four in a row now. Three in a row. No, because <laughs> they won 16. Okay. Okay. So okay. that was my, so. My thinking was they're going to win sixteen. They might lose eighteen. They might. Uh, they're going to win twenty. They're going to win twenty-four. And I think they flipped the curse in twenty-two in Italy. Do I, does that? Does winning three in a row look a lot more challenging now? Yes, it does. But that's something I can be wrong about in the future. Okay, so I I uh, I, I just maybe wish I would have phrased that a little bit differently. And I was also afraid to do, dig too far back in the archives because people might say, "Oh, I might have to go listen to episode." 21 to see what these guys had to say and i don't i'm terrified of what's what's
1: actually yeah, i don't want to so. i don't i don't I hate to be fact-checked about our pre Ryder cup pods but uh <laughs> yeah okay that's that's you know what's funny uh, is like Shipnuck takes so much grief for that thing but like bamberger picked him to like win bad touchdown like U.S. to win by a touchdown by seven points before that like literally that week that's so. different
0: than calling the Ryder cup over <laughs> that's true <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to some of the questions from the Refuge. Threw this out uh, on our on our message board and got some really good ones. We've touched on a few of these things within it. Uh, one of them being uh, this is from Robert Hunter. You've been pretty outspoken about uh, Geo Media in the wake of Deadspin's whatever the hell is going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, his question for you: Where do you generally see non traditional sports journalism going in the next ten years? Are we forever going to be caught in the cycle of novelty turns into popularity, which results in acquisition slash monetization that drives away the original user base? How do you escape that cycle? I'm mostly curious for your particular advice on this because that (laughs) sounds like it could apply to some part of my life as well.
1: Mm. Well, I think that uh, what we're going to have to get beyond is like the idea of altruistic sort of people buying media things for like the good of society. And like, you know, the, these families that used to run newspapers, whether it was the Schultz or the, you know, the people who own the Tribune company or on the LA times or the, all, all this stuff, the, the kind of generation of media that I grew up with, where these people are like, you know, it's a good thing for America that we have a good robust media. That's kind of dead. That doesn't exist anymore. And it's I We've lost it. It's gone. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. So I think that you're going to have to like have media companies that provide that they're, they're going to be smaller in scale, I think. And they're going to have to provide content that's valuable that people will be willing to subscribe to, like pay directly for so that you remove the advertising model uh, from it. Because like if you want truly independent media, you can't have it like I think attached to, um, you know, a company that's basically saying, like, hey, can uh, can't do this, can't do that. And so. You know, like, that's something, uh, obviously, like, <laughs> being real, like, it's a hard thing to sort of say, like, if you ever wanted to criticize Callaway, like, obviously, you wouldn't do it, because, like, that's something that you're attached to. So, let's at least you're upfront about sure. that and honest about it. And that's, I, I think, where your credibility, like, people ought to be able to decide for themselves, like, well, what credibility does this person have on this thing? And so, like, that's, I think, uh, an important part of going forward. Do I want to subscribe to this? Does their credibility sort of matter? And I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, it's a billion-dollar question if I knew the answer to how do I build an independent media site that, you know, will not only please readers but make money? Like I would do it in a second because I would never have to work again and, you know, I could play golf all the time. But also if someone saying to you, Sally, like, hey do you want one fifth of you know five hundred million dollars to give us no laying up, and then we get to do whatever we want with it? You might be like, oh, okay, guys. Well, we're gonna go ahead and uh, wait.
0: Do you know someone? Do you, do I, you have... I
1: have fifty one percent of the voting interest of uh, Protrage Holdings, so I'm gonna go ahead and vote into uh, sell the company.
0: <laughs> well, that's where you know it, it is not a simple answer, and like the some of the some of the criticism we'll receive, you know, is in relation to the fact that we have like sponsors and advertisers and partners. And I always want to tell people, and I try to avoid, you know, engaging any of that, because it's like, what, what what, would you rather, would you prefer the alternative that we just like didn't exist? Like do, you, like, do you think we should just do this for free? Like that we like shouldn't be able to pay for the microphone that we're talking into and the computer that's recording this and, you know, all and our time being valuable. It's like, yeah, you have to trust us a bit to, you know, choose the model correctly and that's why we're always you know when people are coming at us for Xander's driver going over it's like hey you might not want to listen to us on this because we have this conflict of interest and there's a very good chance that you can easily connect the dots and want to believe that we are covering Callaway's ass on this and that wasn't the case but like if you wanted to believe that like that's fine like trust us to be able to cover the other issues and we'll like make very clear like what our conflicts are in other ones and like I think we hopefully
1: do that some, better than some of the journalistic entities within golf. And- totally. And dis- disclosure is an important part of it. Like, if you're going to promote, like, Jack Nicklaus courses and you know that, like, you're – I mean, Ryan Balaji went hard at this on Twitter uh, for the sort of, you know, golf magazine or whatever the other day. And I think it was fair. It was totally, like, if you're going to promote this stuff, you need to disclose that you have a financial partnership with it. And you guys always disclose that. Like, there's a thing that runs of every end of every tour, tour sauce video that's, like – Special thanks to Travis Matthew and Callaway Golf and all that stuff. So, I mean, it, ESPN makes it pretty clear, like, who we sort of are, you know, have deals with. Like, we all the, like we have a deal with the NBA. We have a deal with the NFL. And hopefully, like, we're valuable enough of an entity that we can still do good journalism and that we feel like people will trust us to not be compromised. But if, if they don't, then we're certainly subject to criticism for it. Just disclose it. Right.
0: But bringing everything kind of full circle with what we've talked about today, like with the way that organizations are conglomerating, is that a word? <laughs> I yeah, guess. Uh, sure, it is now, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is from a movie. Oh, oh it, it is not. now. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's like literally impossible to like not, you know, be double dipping somewhere or, you know, and I'm sure there's there's probably conflicts of interest that we have that I've never even realized or thought of, you know, when I've criticized something, I've been like, oh yeah, that probably pissed someone off, but uh, yeah, it's it's literally it's an impossible game. Like it's just it's a tough, tough market to. I, I, basically, my point being like, for like ESPN, like you need money to pay for your salary and the talented people that bring the good content and all that stuff. And it's it's a it's a very circular thing, and it's just an incredible challenge that. It's a very good question, too, of just like, what is what is the future of this? Because I think a lot of your criticism was based on, again, what we talked about earlier, too, is like the empty engagement, like trying to reach a number of people without worrying what the retention is or what the actual, what you're actually giving that audience. Correct. So, All right. All right this one's from Antifaldo. This is a longer question, but I could not, as soon as I read this, I could not wait for you to get involved with this one. All right, so he says the question can or cannot be answered in the Gary Player voice. Um, Take a look at the current golf health regime. Fitness, exercise, taking care of one's body, CBD oil oil everywhere, uh, (laughs) preferably from Herbal Active, uh, private jets, Bryson's Dream Machine, secret German blood replacement procedures, (laughs) teams consisting of golfer, caddy, physio, coach, trainer, nutritionist. Now, take a look at the 1970s beer everywhere flying coach god knows what johnny miller was up to so many dinner <laughs> parties where people thought meat and jello belonged in dishes together
1: <laughs> jello was a vegetable back then yeah C-
0: <laughs> cigarettes upon cigarettes upon cigarettes what player from this era would suffer most if air dropped into that era and for purpose of the question ignore differences in equipment and technology as available as a variable and also, what player from that area would benefit the most if allowed to compete with the current understanding of sleep good, cigarettes bad? Wow, <laughs> what a question!
1: The Walrus was the first person I thought if you brought them forward, like what maybe they would benefit because, like, like Stather had <laughs> game, man. He he had great hands. He was just a bear. He was he was hot tempered like badass I think remember we were watching that year we played at Swedens so we were watching old masters and like just watching like how much game he had but like just what what low simmering oh, yeah. rage he had and after every shot you gotta think that like maybe fewer cigarettes or fewer red meat <laughs> or you know maybe a sports psychologist might have helped uh, Statler kind of you know f- focus his game a little bit more and the going backwards, I struggled with this one more because it's a harder thing to gauge. For some reason, the first thought I had was like Bubba because even though like the equipment would be sort of different, like people would, I think, not be as open to his weirdo-ness and would like be more like antagonistic towards him and like – uh, uh, you know, but, but that doesn't really work for the fitness one. Is there anyone that popped into your head like from today that would be sort of, you know, that would oh, going backwards?
0: Yeah. Well, there's a huge one. Bryson. Yeah. Like that would be just like the weirdest match of like <laughs> all of the, all of the technicality and all the things he, you know, all the things he gets super into the weeds of to be to just be like, Oh yeah. You guys are drinking before the round. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to compete in this. I don't know how to do this. <gasps>
1: God. I imagine Bryson talking about what special kind of like ash he was using in his wooden driver as opposed to like, you know, birch or whatever, whatever wood. Like I got these special t- titanium screws that I, I got in here. If you really like you just catch one, it just goes forever. And this
0: Well, I also think Phil might be a bit of a struggle because of how many different things he's willing to try and how every time he thinks he's got something figured out. It's like, oh, yeah, I just need a caffeine. So I got to drink like 11 shots of espresso in my coffee. And like, imagine <laughs> if he would have had that mentality with the shit that was going around back then it's like oh yeah like now I know like I just need like three lines of cocaine before I go play now <laughs> instead of the normal one
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> let's go down now to Phil Mickelson who's decided this new cocaine and coffee routine is going to do well I don't know what to think about
0: <laughs> he's got the turkey baster out to his tongue here again at <laughs> the 11th fairway here <laughs> at Augusta National
1: where, <laughs> are we're <laughs> We're not that far off from like some sort of like story about how Phil has planned to like use cryogenics to like freeze his head and like oh for sure come back and oh it's him. gonna
0: get real weird here oh, in the next decade man. anti-aging stuff
1: Phil as um, the, like the weirdo elder statesman who comes to Augusta like, every year in his 70s and like just fires off some takes about whatever is gonna be amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, all right, this is from Hello Friends. He enjoyed the uh, Teddy Bridgewater feature you recently published. Oh, uh,
1: for, let me publish that one.
0: <laughs> he said, are or were there any potential golf features in the past handful of years you would have liked to dive into in the non-Tiger division uh, if given full clearance? There's an obvious one. Okay. Um, oh, go ahead. I think you're going to say it. But.
1: Well, I think a really like, great Patrick Reed story, a really great Rory story would have been fascinating. Um, I think... Uh, I, I like writing honestly about people who are lost, who are struggling. And so I think, uh, I tried, I pitched him over Twitter or DM once. He never responded to it, but a, a Stephen Bowditch story about how are you so good at something? And then all of a sudden a year later, you like, you absolutely cannot do it. And you, your life feels like it's falling apart and a, like a Smiley Coffin story like that, I think would be fascinating. I mean, I think you just, you can learn a lot of interesting things about people when, they just feel like I, I can't do it. Like everyone has stood on a golf course and been like, I just, I don't know where the ball's going. Like I'm completely lost. And so, what's it like to be a professional who uh, has had that? Was that the one, were the one we were going to go with?
0: No, I thought you'd say Anthony Kim. I mean, yeah, was, well,
1: that's, yeah, that's, I, that feels a little obvious because it's just, we've talked about that so much. Right. Um, but, yeah.
0: I just also think he just doesn't want to be found. I think that's I correct. Think he's very much just, and a lot of people are holding out hope for him to come on the pod and us to track him down. And I'm not saying we've given up. We're still trying, and we will continue trying, but I just I don't think he wants to be involved in golf anymore. So, um, This is from Eric R. Benz in relation to kind of what you just said. Has KVV kept up with Lydia Ko's play after his feature from about 18 months ago? Anything that he's seen in her swing results that would lead him to think she's closer to getting back to the top of the LPGA?
1: I have. I, I always look for her whenever I turn on the LPGA or when I sort of dial up every um, scoreboard, uh, just kind of after I see who the winners are and stuff and see who the players are interested. I scroll and I scroll and I scroll and I see where she is kind of near the bottom. Uh, but she's, she's been playing a lot better, actually, this year. It's like four top tens, I think, um, or whatever you call this year, like this wraparound. There really is no end to the LPGA season. I think that – I saw she has a new coach again and um, she probably – I would say it's a safe bet she has new caddies because she's had about 20 caddies in her time. I think the last interview that I saw with her, she was just talking about how she kind of lost confidence and, um, you know, Ledbetter said something – I don't know. Who was it? Some, oh, it, The whole kind of premise of that story was like – did David Ledbetter essentially take like a scalpel to the Mona Lisa, like in trying to tweak her swing and Ledbetter's point was like, she was never going to consistently be good long-term without, you know, doing a little bit of something different and he was trying to make her more athletic and whatever. But what the biggest problem with what happened with Lydia is that she just kind of lost her touch and she was such a wonderful wedge player. Like she just was such a great, uh, feel player. And if you lose your feels, uh, sometimes they don't come back. So, you know, I don't think Lydia's ever going to get back to where she was because there's just too much scar tissue and there's too many players who can hit it long. And there's just wave after wave after wave of good young players coming, uh, still. And so, you know, it's unrealistic to think that she'll ever be the number one player in the world again, I think, uh, which is a bummer because she's a really fun kind of personality, but you know, she always said that she was going to be done by the time she was thirty, and uh, so I think that in some ways it is a long ways away. But uh, I always felt like that. I use that as the kind of lead to my story, even though it had been written about. I asked her about it, and she was. It was just like, yeah, like uh, it was clear, like she didn't want golf to be like her whole life. And so, Ledbetter's sort of point was always that she's going to come to a point at some point where she wants to be her own person and get away from her family. And um, I know you know a lot of kids, people figure that out. He wanted her to fight, figure it out like Michelle we did. Is like, you know what? I'm going to be my own person and make my own decisions. And so, you know, Michelle didn't really reach her – Potential until after she had kind of done that and said, you know what? I'm 27 years old 26 years old I'm gonna figure this out now for myself and then finally want a major so maybe that breakthrough is coming for Lydia at some point Or maybe that's unfair to her family I don't know the, one of the hardest things is that like her parents have never given any kind of English language Interview that I've ever you know seen or heard or I don't even know if they've given a, a, a interview in Korean And so it's hard to know like what that relationship's like, other than like rumors of what you hear.
0: Michelle was 24 when she won their U.S. Open, which was 10 years into her, like nine years into her professional career, which puts into perspective the age of uh, some of these women. Uh, Last two, we'll get you out of here. Uh, This was going uh, lengthy, but people people love hearing from KVV. What uh, come on? Semi regular (laughs) occurrence. The best friend of the pod. Uh, this is from C. Devlin on the Refuge. As someone who's covered both the NFL and PGA Tour, what are the biggest similarities and differences with dealing with the biggest stars? Are the egos that much different? What about access and the way they handle and approach media? And which athletes are more real and give more? And which give more coach speak? And also, is uh, is one of them more una- more self unaware? The tour of the NFL.
1: <sighs> well, so one of the things about the NFL is that players essentially have to make themselves available to the media, uh, once a week at least, and then after games. And, um, if they don't, if they skip out on that media sort of stuff and media and the NFL PA complains, they can be fined for it. It's sort of something that's written into the collective bargaining agreement. I believe I haven't read it, studied it, but that's always been my understanding. And so, you can't necessarily like ever pull Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning aside and say like, "Hey, can I ask you this question about the specific thing?" But sometimes, if you have a relationship with those people, you can. Like they, you're in a space, you're allowed into a space where they walk through the locker rooms, and you could sort of grab them and say like, "Look, I know uh, you already talked on the podium, which is what most quarterbacks do. They don't sort of unless Drew Brees talks in the locker room. Let's say it's maybe." not 100% a hundred percent of certainly, but a lot of quarterbacks prefer to just do their one availability week. So compare that to golf. Like, can you get tiger aside to ask him a question? If you have a relationship with him, like if you've covered the tour for a long time, if you're, you know, Bob Herrig or you're Steve D'Amiglio, or you're someone who, you know, he's seen around and, uh, isn't going to feel like, you know, you're going to, publish something that's off the record that he says, then you can ask him a question about something. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can do that with Phil and I would say golfers are probably a little bit more available, uh, in the sense that there are, I don't know, it, it goes both ways and it's, it's a hard thing to split. So there's 125 golfers, right? So like, you're always going to be able to talk to someone because not all of them are going to be like, nah, man, I, I don't do media. Um, but uh, Mm -hmm. are the highest level of golfers, like, are they available? They're all kind of only going to do their press conferences, really, and then they're going to say, well, that's I'm sorry, that's what I've already done for media. Whereas, like, the NFL is kind of more specific. Like, here's here's the time when you're allowed to talk, and if you don't get them within that time, then, like, you're really not allowed to talk to them unless you call them on the phone individually and you have a relationship Mm -hmm. with them, and then the PR staff might get upset. I don't know. It's a hard – I guess they're probably – similar in some ways i feel like this is a super long and rambling answer um the what it really comes down to is like if you build a trust with someone if you have a relationship with them you can get them just sort of like i have written about guys who were in college when i, I covered them in college at, when i covered the university of maryland who then i could go up to in the raven's locker room and say like hey man can i talk to you about this and they'd be like yeah just call me on my cell here's my cell and so like certainly there's like golfers who can have, build relationships with like that as well, but if you walk up to someone totally cold, and be like, "Hey, I'm you know from ESPN." That's not going to really like do a lot for a lot of them. They're just going to be like, "I don't, I don't really care. I don't know you." So,
0: hmm. well, that's what I always wondered. With I've kind of always said, without any real evidence, like, "Oh, golfers are just way more relatable to normal people than like a defensive lineman is in the NFL." Like I've always said that. Is that is that
1: the case? I don't know. I mean. <sighs> I would say most. It's. It depends on. I think that's a matter of perspective because, like, most golfers come from some means, right? They're even just to play golf, you have to have enough money for someone to pay your AGA fees, or you know, to buy you clubs, or to sort of like, you know, let you travel all around the country. Whereas there's a lot of football players who come from pretty rough areas of the country, and so. Relatable to me as a white guy who's 41 might, you know, be different than relatable to a 23 year old kid who came from Liberty City in Miami, and so like it's a that's where it's a complicated question. Like, are they relatable to what most of the media looks like? You know, maybe. I mean, I, but I've I've formed really good relationships with like a lot of guys who had really different backgrounds and were super willing to talk to me because. They had been through a lot of shit growing up, and so they didn't like think that like the the NFL team should be able to control who they do and don't do and don't talk to. You know, the coach couldn't tell them like yeah, don't speak to the media because they'd be like, screw that, man. Like you ain't you ain't done nothing for me, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go ahead and talk to whoever I want. I mean, my own judgment. So I, you know, I think it's it's hard. The easiest answer is just a case by case basis.
0: All right, <clears throat> we're gonna get you out of here on this one. Last one from JAS on the Refuge. What's your biggest feel good golf story of 2019?
1: I mean, it was definitely the time I shot 73. Uh, no, uh, no, um, it's hard to go against, like, Tiger, right? I mean, that, yeah. I think you know, it just resonates something. in... You know, Cam Champ, maybe, uh, just because that was a really cool story and obviously meant something generationally for, you know, him, his grandfather teaches him the game, his grandfather's dying, he wins. But Tiger just, I think, resonates in so many ways. I mean, that the sticky thing on my... Twitter the, is still like the the string of tweets that I wrote uh, the day after the Masters, where I was just still like tearing up, kind of thinking about where I was in nineteen ninety, you know, seven when he won, and my dad started of calling me and talking about it, and how I felt like, you know, the I related to Tiger at the time as like the kid, but then as I got older now i relate to him as like the dad and like hugging his own kids and how what what that means for the passage of time like that's it's hard to, it's hard to top that I, again i don't believe like it doesn't matter to me whether tigers changed in that time since he won the masters to when he won his last masters but like i've changed and i know what that means like i i know my whole life kind of has been ripped apart and put back together and i've been a lot of cool places and done a lot of cool things and this podcast is ranked right up there at the top Sally. So. oh
0: man what a way to
1: what a way to end it
0: well I want to no thank you Mr. KVV <laughs> for coming on as well as uh, if if he's still around Mr. Player please send my regards um, And we appreciated his uh, his appearances as well and always appreciate your insights thank you so much for joining us uh, anytime alright bud alright be the right club be the right club today yes,
1: yes. Ready, that's Better than most. How about in? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect.